Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and welcome in to another Thursday episode. You know, the weather today, Ben, (laughs) it is not nice at all. It is 28 degrees. The wind is blowing like 15 to 20 miles an hour. There's not a whole lot that I'd want to go do outdoors today. However, just a few days ago this week, it was awesome. Well, that's why we can say today isn't nice, because a few days ago it was really nice. Really nice. Really nice. And we took advantage of that. We did. We went outdoors, and we actually played some disc golf. And that is an activity I have not done in several years. I think it's probably been at least a few months or maybe even a year or so since you last played, and you haven't played as much as you used to. Uh can't wait to share our experience and just this game in general is so fun and I want to encourage people to go out and try it. But before we get into it, we need to give thanks. Yeah, Brian, what comes to mind first in regards to being thankful is the activities that we can do in the Ozarks They really don't cost a whole lot. I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity, so the location to go and the availability that people are allowing us to go there to do the things that we enjoy to do. So thankful for that. Yeah, especially if you have, you know, a, a big family or you want to go with a group of people, things can add up really quick, and a lot of outdoor activities require gear. And while gear is fun, it, it would be really tough if you and two other people wanted to go try something new, but it, it costs $1,000 each to go try it. So having the availability for some low-cost outdoor activities to go exercise and enjoy creation is, is great. It is. And we got to experience that this week. The thing I am most thankful for uh, today is hope. And I don't mean this pie-in-the-sky, wishful-thinking hope. You know, around us right now, our world is... It's crazy. We've experienced some crazy things in our lifetime. Uh, Probably the biggest, you know, thinking of World Trade Centers. But Mm -hmm. we have some crazy things going on right now with uh the chinese spy balloons and there's just so much going on you have a bunch of christians that think jesus is coming back tomorrow or today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have people thinking that world war world war 3 is going to start today or tomorrow you have millions of people thinking that an alien invasion is coming any moment the movie signs is getting ready to happen there is all of this craziness we can be so inundated with this information and it causes fear and panicking people, but I am so thankful for hope because I have none of that. And when I say no pie in the sky hope, I mean biblical hope, promised hope of what I believe is going to happen when Jesus comes back. And I am so thankful that whether aliens happens or war happens, I'm going to go be with Jesus. The end of the story is the same no matter what the middle is for me. I'm going to go be with Jesus. I look forward to that time. So I'm thankful for that hope and that promise. Yeah, let me add in God's Word. Please do. So God's Word, you know, no matter what's going on around us, you may be in fear right now. You may be so confused about what we're talking about because you have been paying attention. You don't know what's going on. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what's happening, this is Psalm 4610. And those that know it can say it with me. He says, 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Enough said. Mm-hmm. Be still in him. No matter what's happening, most of the time we are being deceived by a lot of lies. And because you don't know what truth is, it's tough. So be still in him. Lean into him. And keep pushing forward and move on because I'm here to tell you that's all you can do. Amen, brother. And and find time to go outdoors and yes. enjoy creation when you can. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. With that, Ben, let's talk about this awesome outdoor game. It is called Disc Golf. And if you really want to be politically correct, make sure you call it that. Don't call it Frisbee Golf because that, that you could offend some people. Well, you know, I'll say it this way. In my early career of disc golf... <laughs> Your career? <laughs> what an overstatement. You know, when me and my buddies first started playing this years and years ago, um, a lot of people called it Frisbee golf. And it was kind of, when I became an educator and I started actually teaching this, I was kind of adamant about telling people, listen, it is not Frisbee golf. This is called disc golf. And the reason that I was passionate about sharing the difference is because a disc today that we have is different than a Frisbee. Mm-hmm. They are completely different. So if you and I wanted to go play Ultimate Frisbee, you know, in and, and some college campus somewhere, that is so much easier to catch and fun to play with a Frisbee. But the moment that I take a disc and I throw it as hard as I want and you try to catch it. It take your teeth out. It can take your teeth out. Oh, it kills your hands. So for those of you that are wanting to go play catch with the disc, there's some, <laughs> wake up. You want to play catch with Frisbees, not discs. But if we look at the history of disc golf, it really all started from a Frisbee, and it, right. and it was from the patent of the original Frisbee. So mm-hmm. got to give credit to the Frisbee, and if people are calling it Frisbee, okay. But today, it is a disc. It is different, so we do ask you to call it disc golf. You mentioned you started playing with friends. How Maybe. long ago How <laughs> long ago did you start playing? Okay, well, it had been... Math's not a strong no. suit. <laughs> I'm. Uh, it had been when I about I'm driving. We started driving sixteen. Oh, you were playing in high school. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but it had been because we started Lambert's, so it had been sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, right around there. Because there was uh, three to four of us that started playing. Yeah. And we traveled. You know, there weren't a lot of courses. Uh, there were some courses here, a, a couple locally, and. Then it kind of started getting bigger around us in states. We went down to Arkansas and played some courses. And then over the next few years, it kind of started blowing up. And, and It's definitely growing in popularity. I I shouldn't say nationally. I don't really know. But here locally, definitely has grown in popularity. Yeah, I mean, when, when I was working at the restaurant, that was something that we, we actually did. <laughs> this sounds weird. After we get off work at night, we'd go play. Um, there is a way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, through the weekend or even, you know, before our shifts, we'd go out and play around um, before our shift would start. So that's what's actually cool about disc golf is is you can pick however many holes you want to play and, and however long it takes you, it takes you. So if you only have an hour to play, play an hour and then leave. Yeah. You know? the, the history of disc golf personally for me, I heard about it when I was in high school, mm. which would have been a little a few years after you. <laughs> and the only reason I heard about it, I didn't know anybody that played. I'd, right. I'd never played. I've never seen. I'd never seen a disc. Besides, I saw a frisbee, but I've never seen a disc. I've never seen a course. Yeah. But one of my friends' dads actually helped design one of the local courses. So I heard him talking about it, but I didn't know anybody who played. So I never actually went and played until 
later on, after high school, into college, when I met you, started hanging out with you, and you're like, uh, dude, you need to come do this. Yeah. Like, you can throw, you love the outdoors, like, you need, you need to come do this with us. And so that's when I started playing, but that was only a few years before I had kids. Right. And since I've had kids, I... This round we played this week was the first round I've played since I've had kids. And my oldest is, uh, gosh, he's just a few months away from five. So it has been a while since I've played. Right, and it's been a while since I've played, but we used to play a lot. And and not to put anybody in a category, but I will say that when we first started playing disc golf, you smelt a lot of weed, like you smelt it throughout the courses, and a lot of those people you were past were barefoot. Yeah, it was just like that's that's a lot, and so it's me not and my, like that anymore. I don't know. I haven't experienced. It's that. become so per, like what I say professional is that it is now a sport, and people there are people that are getting paid to play. Yeah, so there there is a professional. It it literally is called the Professional Disc Golf Association. There's nothing creative to the name. It's the PDGA. Uh, people play professionally. They make a living. They have sponsors. They travel around and play, just like regular golf. Right. With, Correct. So. Now that I said regular golf, that's the first comparison I've made to it. Tell me what disc golf is. For somebody that's never heard of it, how do you play? What is the game? There's a lot of information out there about disc golf and the history of it that seems like there's a lot of people that um, played a huge part in what we call disc golf today. So I turn to the actual Professional Disc Golf Association. Um, I'm kind of going right at them because they share a little bit of history, but it is a little different than, than some other things you'll read about in regards to the past of disc golf, the past history of disc there's, golf. There's even a, a, a quote here from, from one of the Hall of Fame players that says, sorry, but this turns out to be an impossible thing to answer. There yeah. are so many historical accounts of people playing golf with a flying disc, some of which predate the advent of the plastic flying disc many years ago in the 60s. So yeah. difficult to really tell the full exact history but we can kind of get some ideas of of when uh, products were patented and when right. people actually started playing professionally. Right, and and I think you even told me like they were using like pie pans and metal trash cans or something. Right, I mean, in Canada, like yeah. in the early 1900s. <laughs> yeah. So again, for those that don't know what we're talking about, we'll make it more clear for you now here. So the history of disc golf, they call the father of disc golf is Steady Ed Hedrick. Hedrick. I'm not sure how you'd say his last name. Um, but he's the first one to patent what was called the Frisbee. Mm-hmm. And so... And that was in the mid-60s, mid-1960s. Right. Yep. And then he he went on to patent what they call the disc golf pole hole, mm-hmm. um, which, to explain it to you, would be a pole that is, you know, uh, uh, anchored into the ground, usually by concrete, but anchored into the ground. And then at the top of the pole, you're going to have chains coming off the very top. They're going to run down into a basket and the whole idea of that patent and that, that product is that the disc that's thrown will hit the chains and land in the basket, and that's considered the hole. Mm-hmm. That would be like if you putted it into the hole in golf. Yep. So now that you have a Frisbee and you have a hole, that's kind of what they're calling the start of disc golf, right? right? Now, the, the rules of disc golf are the same as golf, so they've been there way before disc golf came about. As far as a time frame reference, we're talking about the mid-70s here. So the, you got the, the Frisbee being invented in, in the 60s, and then later in the mid-70s is when this disc golf pole hole was patented. Yeah, yeah, and now they come together, they play it like golf. So, Brian, can you quickly share golf overview? Um, you're looking at... I'll start it off here and then fill in where I'm missing. So you're looking at the least amount of plays, or in golf it's called strokes, so hits, 
um, the least amount of those to get the ball into the hole. Right. And so that would be the same thing for disc golf, the least amount of throws to get into the basket. Yeah. So every hole is going to have a starting point. Mm-hmm. And at that starting point, it's going to give you par for that hole. And par means that really is your target. That is what you should, how many throws you should make to get the disc into the basket. Most of the holes are going to be what is called a par three. So you get to throw from your starting point, go get your disc, throw it at the basket again, and then by then you should be close enough to pick it up and throw it in, and that would be par. If you did that on all 18 holes, you would score a zero. And that means you shot par. And that would be a really, really good score. Newsflash, neither of you did that. Neither of us. <laughs> yeah. Neither of us did that this week. No, we struggled. And again, haven't played in a while, so I'll use that as my excuse. Let me ask you this. Speaking of struggle, how's your body feeling? You know, I am sore. <laughs> I am. I used to be able to play multiple days and not really feel it, but you know, gotta stay active after you play. You got to keep moving. You got to keep stretching. You got to keep going. Yeah, and I guess that would be a benefit of disc golf to get you out, get you moving. At... It's a huge, huge benefit, and it's one of it's going to be a huge reason when we wrap up here of why I'm going, why I'm sharing this with you today to go out to do. Right. Um, I do want to add in there that you know while you're out playing this game, you know you talked about how you talked about what a par was, you know. You're explaining the rules of this game. There's one more thing in there that's added in that that makes this difficult is that there are obstacles. Mm. So when we're talking about golf, you know, sometimes in the fairway, sometimes they have tree limbs and stuff sticking out. Yeah, and and sand pits. And sand pits, so you have those. But when we're talking about disc golf here, a challenge in disc golf that really has to go with these rules, it goes with the rules because you have to throw from where it landed. Mm -hmm. So if you're not very good, like myself... You may end up down deep in the woods, way down in a creek bottom, but you have to throw from where that landed. That's part of the rules, and that's why I want to share, because there are some people that don't play that way. Hey, if you and your buddies create your own rules, great, but the actual rules is that once you throw, you make your throw, you walk to where it lands, and you must throw again. And because of that, that's what's so awesome about disc golf is that now you're bringing in obstacles that you're not going to find in, in golf. You know, you have tree limbs that are coming out. You have water. You have creeks. We have um, sometimes, let's see where I was at. I had to pull mine out of a gopher hole. It was like a gopher. It was a groundhog hole. So you have obstacles that are going to be in your way that you're not going to find in golf yeah, either. Well, and you're going to find them in golf, but it's not... <laughs> It's not as exaggerated as right. in disc golf, and every course is different. Of uh, every disc, is, every course is different. Of course, every yes. course is going to be different. Yes. The one we played, it, I had never played it. I felt like the majority of the holes, your first throw, you didn't even really know where the basket was. You couldn't right. see it. Couldn't I guess I should it. say you couldn't see it. You kind of knew the direction based on the map that they gave you but you could not see it and that made it really difficult and so many times you had maybe a lane one way and a lane the other way but to throw straight you'd have to throw a missile that bounced through 17 trees to come out the other side right and and that's actually a great point you're making you really should have a spotter and that is something uh, when you talk about getting into playing um, disc golf and, and doing it what we would call ethically, like really doing it correctly to the lay of the land. Um, 
that is one of the codes. It is to have a spotter like like you did a few times for me when I couldn't see. You went up and went over the ridge. Um, a, to make sure there's nobody down there that you're going to hit. And B, that you can kind of help direct me so that I do know where the basket's at. Right. You know, some courses have a map at each hole to where you can get a general idea of where this basket is from where you're standing. But it just depends on, on the course because disc golf can be free to go play. Uh-huh. That's another awesome thing about disc golf is that there are parks, there are private landowners that they have courses set up on their properties, on the property, and they don't charge. But there are other places like uh, there's clubs that have courses that you have to pay to play. Um, some ranches have they have many, many acres, and they set them out for, for people to come donate. Right. Uh, I'm putting up air quotes here, donate, you know, but they really want you to put in five bucks to play I could think of at least five here locally within, I'm going to say, 25 minutes of the house that we can go play for free. Right. At least five. You know, one of the smallest I played on, um, it was up in Springfield, and it's on 10 acres. Yeah. It's tiny, but 10 acres. And it kind of runs back and forth on itself. A lot of fun, but very tiny. Uh-huh. So a course like that, you were you were describing earlier about pars, you're going to have small pars here. You're going to have par three. It's pretty much going to be a par three course. Right. Then you get into courses that are huge. Many, many, many acres. Well, there was one that was 1,200 feet long that yeah. we played this week. I thought we were never going to get there. I think, was it par? It was a par five. Par five, which means we had five throws to get there to make a zero. Right. To be right there. Now, if we want to play really well, which a lot of these pros are hitting, is they're going to be throwing even less than that. They're gonna Their score is going to be in the negatives. They're going right. to be going below zero. And when doing that, that means you're pretty good because you're you're throwing farther, you're throwing more accurate, and you're getting to the hole from the start point a lot quicker, a lot shorter, shall I say. Yeah. Yeah, so in this golf, you may be throwing through trees or over trees. The basket may be tucked into a little clearing in the trees, and you're starting out in the open. That is different than golf. Golf, generally, you have this big, long fairway, and it may dog leg left or dog, right, dog leg right a little bit. Right. But as you make that turn, it's still open you can still see so many times in in disc golf you can't even really see what you're going you just know a direction and you can kind of see a lane and that's where the skill of really being able to throw and start to bend and shape the flight of your disc comes into play right and then lastly in regards to what is disc golf you have an area where you putt and that putting area can be different ranges for for how well you can putt or not. Right. But it's just like golf in regards to now we're at a close spot where we should be able to putt it into the basket or into the hole. Right. So really the only equipment you need to go play disc golf is a pair of walking shoes, uh-huh. albeit we saw somebody out there without shoes. Yeah, she was walking around barefoot. Right. Yeah. Kind of broke. <laughs> that kind of broke my heart, I'm going to be honest with you. Well, but I'm telling you that's how it was in the beginning when I first started playing. Uh, not that she didn't have shoes. Oh. <laughs> what she was asked to do, not oh, wearing right. shoes. Right, I, yeah. I just got to tell it because yeah. chivalry is not dead. There there are many, many men who still treat women well. However, yeah, correct. this young lady, I, I, late teens, early 20s, Yeah. she was being very kind and carrying the bags of discs for these two gentlemen that were playing. However, one of them just, I mean... This disc flew off of the open area and into the edge of the woods four or five feet, maybe. Right. And it was under a spindly little tree, leaned up against the tree. And this tree was a honey locust tree. Big, Your favorite. 
my favorite. <laughs> I've brought them up in the podcast before. You know, two, three-inch thorns on these trees. This young lady is barefooted. Mm-hmm. She's barefooted. And this man that was playing, instead of taking one step in, reaching under and grabbing this disc, he gets out a new disc, and he says, Hey, disc monkey, why don't you come over here and get this disc? Mm. After... You already offered to get it for him. Yeah, and that's what's... Uh, I actually didn't hear him say that to her because I told him, hey, I'll just get it for you. And when I went to get it, he said, no, no, no. He said, yeah, no, I have this monkey. Hey, this monkey, okay. come get this. Because it threw me off that he told me no. Yeah. And I was kind of... Not that he was on guard, but then I kind of went up on guard of like, oh, okay, and I kind of just stepped back and let him do his thing. Yeah. And then so she, with no reluctancy at all, almost joyfully goes over there and I'm looking at her and her bare feet and I have felt these I have had these honey locust thorns embedded in my flesh before and it is awful yeah and I can just picture her stepping on this getting in her foot and I wanted so bad to say we'll just get that for you but it was a weird deal because we were letting them play through and pass us because we were looking for a disc and so we were trying to be kind and I didn't want I didn't want to rub them the wrong way, but then I wanted to save her from stepping on a honey locust. She never put her shoes on. She walked right. under this tree and grabbed the disc for him and came back out. And thankfully, she didn't step on anything. But I just, <laughs> you and I just looked at each other like, I can't believe that just happened. One, right. that he asked her to do it. And then right. two, that she did it in no shoes, with no shoes. And so really, that leads me to say one of the most essential pieces of gear that you need is a decent pair of shoes. Yeah. Uh, you and I wore some kind of lightweight hiking boots, but you can play in tennis shoes. I even know some people who play, uh, or I, ha- I have played in, in Chaco sandals Yeah. In, in the warmer months, but something a good sturdy shoe, because you are going to cover probably a couple miles as you walk and weave back uh, through these holes, and you may have to walk through some creeks and, and difficult terrain. So a good pair of shoes, and then, of course, you have to have discs. And how does somebody even go about getting discs? How much is that going to cost? What else do you need to play this game? You know, when we're talking about golf, you kind of have an idea of you need a driver. You got to have like a driver club, and then you need some irons, and then you for sure need a putter. And so how many irons do you need? I don't know. <laughs> how many do you need? How many How many drivers do you really need? How many putters do you need? But you know that you would need at least one. And so... To make this very short and sweet, you need to have a driver, a mid-range, and a putter. And if you had those three, you could go play a full game. You could play a full game with a driver and a putter. Yeah. You you could could play a full game with a driver. It would be more difficult, but you could. Right. So you, if you wanted to minimize down, you could literally play with just one driver, and that could be the disc you use the entire time. And I'm going to say you'll see a lot of people out doing that. They are a minimalist. They want to carry one disc. I've seen it a lot. Those minimalists will then jump up because the discs are that different. They'll carry a driver and just a putter because a putter could be a mid-range if you needed it. But when it comes to Ben, I carry 20 discs with me. That's how many I have. I go all in. And I have several drivers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what? That's 20 discs after you gave me 15 of them. Yes, I, I, I only play with 20 is what I'm telling you. And I get the other 15. And you, you get to take the other 15. But you got to have this too, man. I do, yeah. You do. But actually, the reason why I have so many is, like I was sharing um, 
when me and my buddies, I'm going to throw my buddy's name out there. You have Mark Fabian, you have Aaron Norick, and you have Stephen Tay. You know, with us four, it was fun because we could get into a scramble where we'd go two and two, you'd take the best throw and play from there. But during those days, as we were trying to learn and get better, we met a professional disc golfer, and his name was the Disc Golf Monkey. It's actually the brand that he went with, and a lot of the discs that he sells has that logo on it. It's a Disc Golf Monkey. And we'd go see him, and he's such a good salesman. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's pretty much the only place I bought my discs. And Uh and I mean, I have bought so many because as I would walk in, he'd say, oh, here's the new brand. Here's the new plastic. Here's what it does. And this one has air bubbles in it. (laughs) This one has air bubbles in the plastic. You know, like he made me want it. Uh And so I'd buy it. And, you know, after buying so many and playing as long as we did, I started finding what discs started working for my body, for my arm, um, for my height, for my strength, for the different places we were playing. I started figuring out what discs did and what they did for me. Yeah. And those are the ones that I kept, which are the 20 I have, and then all the extra I usually loan out or let other people play. So to go, to go get started, I hope people understand you, you just need a few discs and you can actually, I see them at Walmart now sometimes. They'll have starter kits there. Yeah. You can get on Amazon and buy uh, starter Academy, kits. Academy, Sports Store had them. Even some of the, the bigger name brands like Anova, you can buy kits. And most of them have like six starter discs in there. And yeah. it, they're going to give you exactly what you need. And some of these are only about um, 30 to $50 for, right. for a starter right. kit, which is right. great. That's not much at all. If you could spend $35 and go out and, and play golf and pick up a new sport, and if you love it, and you want to start getting into some other discs or more high dollar things, you can. But most of these sets also come with the last essential piece of gear, a bag. Gotcha. Makes life easier. You don't have yes, to. You could right. carry a disc or two, but having a bag, even if you just need to put four or five discs in it, helps you stay organized. You can throw a bottle of water in there, your phone. Um, if you if you have a map of the course, it gives you a spot to put some stuff and maybe you find something cool along the way. We were looking for deer antlers, but we, we didn't were. find any. Yeah, uh, we were. You, hey, you, but you, you might find an arrowhead or a deer antler, right. and you need a place to put it. So a bag, I think, is a great thing, um, but a lot of these kits come with them. You probably have it some little bag laying around the house you could use if you wanted to. You definitely could. You brought up a brand, and I do want to share that. There are some different brands of discs. You have Anova. You also have Discraft, and you have Gateway. There are probably more brands. Those are the ones that I have. And inside those brands, you also then have different types. And mm-hmm. that's where it gets so crazy, so crazy. So, you know, for my 20 that I have, I want a bag because depending on the course, depending on the whole of the course, there are discs that do different things. And I need that disc when I need that disc for that different thing, if that makes sense. It's kind of like a fishing rod. I, I think it's more like bait. No, it's kind of like a fishing rod. It's fishing rods. Discs are like fishing rods. This is the analogy here. Okay. So you've got your jig rod, right? Okay. That, that's your juice, your money maker. That's your driver that you throw on 70% of the holes. But then you've got your crankbait rod too, right? And some situations just call for that crankbait rod. But then also, sometimes you got to have a little crankbait, and you got to have a different rod for the smaller crankbaits too. So the discs may not get used on every course. They may only get used once. You're not going to use your small crankbait rod as much as you use your big jig rod. So right. you're going to have all of these specialty discs once you get more advanced into playing. But again, you don't 
you don't ever really have to get to that point. You would, you can no. have just as much fun and, and gain just as much skill without going to that point. Mm-hmm. So let me summarize so far where we're at. So somebody understands how to play. It's like golf. You have a starting point. You have a par. You try to throw it in the basket. Usually it's a par three, uh, but it'll say on the sign par four, par, par five. You've got your discs. Say you bought a starter kit for 40 bucks. You got six discs and a bag. How do you throw it? There's a few ways. It isn't just getting up and throwing like what we know as a Frisbee. That's what I wanted to ask. Do you throw right. it just like a Frisbee? Is that how you tell somebody to start? So there are actually people that, that throw it that way, you know, but it depends. Are you right-handed or left-handed? So you can throw it left-handed or you can throw it right-handed, but are you throwing it backhand or forearm? That's, that's the biggest difference. L- let me tell the story of the first time I ever played with you. Okay. So for those of you that don't know me, uh, I'm not going to say I am. I was definitely past tense a baseball player. I was my passion for so many years. I went to college and played baseball, and I was a pitcher. So that is kind of that throwing motion is what my body understands. It's ingrained in me. I threw my career ended because I threw too much shoulder injuries and scar tissue, and my shoulder doesn't work as good as the other one or like it should. So when we got out there to play, I asked that question: Do I just throw this like a frisbee? And there was a couple other guys there, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's how most people throw it. Give it a try. So I threw this driver disc like a Frisbee. <laughs> I wanted it to go 150 feet, and it went 30. <laughs> it didn't <laughs> yeah, go very far, and I threw it yeah, as hard as I could. Right. And I made the comment, man, I wish I could just throw it like a baseball. Right. And that's when you guys all kind of looked at me, and you were like, well, you can. And you said, well, that's how I throw it. Mm-hmm. It's like a side-armed baseball throw, and that is your forehand. A normal Frisbee throw where you take and put your hand on the front of it, and you twist, and you turn, and you release that in front of you. That's a backhand. And a forehand is you would actually grab the disc and throw it side-armed with your hand behind the disc, a disc leading like a side-armed pitcher pitching to the plate. And that is how I throw Mm -hmm. because I can't get any power the other way, and Honestly, it's less painful for me throwing this way, and I feel like I have more control. But that's just because I was a pitcher. I feel like, but yeah. you throw that way as well. I, I do. I I feel more confident throwing that way. Mm-hmm. I think my confidence comes from I played baseball too in high school, and it just I've got a lot more power when I try to throw from my belly button, throwing it backhand. It just doesn't feel like it goes very far. Right. You know, um, the more that I practiced. The more that I've played, I've gotten, um, I've been able to throw it farther that way. So I like to putt and do mid range that way. But my drives, when I'm wanting to to really get distance, I'm gonna throw backhand. And earlier though, I was sharing, are you throwing left or right hand? I even think I called it forearm, but forehand, yeah, for, forehand, forearm, yeah, forehand. So if you're throwing, and this kind of gets me confused, so I'm gonna talk this out with all of you listening. So if you're throwing with your right hand, and you're throwing forehand with your right arm right when you let go of that disc that disc is going to naturally come back to the right mm-hmm. so every time i throw it that way that disc is going to come back to the right now if i throw for, with my right hand for my belly button so i'm throwing a forearm a backhand. Or, excuse me a backhand yeah. If I'm throwing a backhand from my belly button, like like you'll see most people throwing a frisbee, when I throw it that way, that disc is always going to come to the left, always. Okay. 
So if you're a left-handed person and you're throwing forehand, when you let go of that disc, it is going to come back to the left. If you're a left-handed person and you're throwing from your stomach and you're throwing backhand, then that disc is going to be coming back to the right. Mm-hmm. No matter what dominant hand you are, give it a try. Get out, get one disc, give it a throw, start throwing, and seeing which way it goes and get comfortable with that. Don't worry about technique yet. Don't worry about how hard and how far I can throw it. You just got to learn about the disc. Which direction is it going? Yeah, it is not. It is. These discs are not, I should say for me, they're not as easy to throw and control as a regular frisbee. Right. You want them to be, but they're they're heavier. They're they they're not as concave. They they don't have as big of a cup underneath them. They're not staying. They don't have the lift like a frisbee. Right. They want to come down a lot faster and and you said every disc is different. It is. I noticed a lot of yours are, are weighed and I know all the pros weigh theirs out to the exact gram and have mm-hmm. it written on them. They get very uh, exact in that, but once you start throwing forehand and backhand and understanding where that disc is going to go and the movement of it, now you're really on your way to playing. But there are other throws. There are main types of throws, but it is has more to do with the shape after you throw it backhand or forehand, uh, and that really is the hyzer and the anhyzer. So if you're right-handed and you throw a hyzer, it's going to be the natural drift of it falling back to the left when you throw a backhand from your belly button. So if you throw a backhand from your belly button, your hand is going to release off to the right. That disc is going to go off to the right if you have it angled up, and then it's going to fall back left. And Anheuser would be the opposite of that. And that mostly comes from your forehand, and that happens to me a lot. As I throw, a tendency is for the left side of that disc to be tilted higher than the right side, it's going to go off to the left as I release it out of my right hand, and then as it starts to come out of the sky, it's going to fall back and shape to the right. So it's going to have this kind of left-to-right curve to it, and that's your Anheuser. Earlier, you actually used the, the word Frisbee, that they're, it's, it's easier to throw a Frisbee. And so what you're describing there is is the putters, the putters actually have a more frisbee feel to them. They do. And and they fly a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So the ones that are more difficult to throw are your drivers. And that's kind of what you're describing here is that it's it's that driver. You're wanting to make a long drive and you'll find that it's difficult to get distance with them because it really does take more power. It takes more power to get that distance driver um, to stay up in the air. You know, when you get into the, the putter side, the way that they're designed, it has more of a, a loft or lift. I'm not sure which word there is correct, but it's going to be able to kind of hover and stay up a little bit easier. Um, but you're not going to be able to throw that as far. So you have drivers, you have putters, and then you have your mid-range, which really kind of blend the two together, I'm going to call it. Right. You know, you do have mid-range that looks similar to drivers, so you're kind of like, what do I use? Which It gets crazy. It can, if you have 20 discs. If you're only having three, if you had a driver, a mid-range, and a putter, that's all you got. Mm-hmm. You're going to throw those. You're going to practice with those. You're going to see how far each one can go by your own arm. You know, someone else might pick it up and, and throw it, and it does something completely different. But learn how you throw the disc. Learn how it's working for you when you're throwing it correctly. Because you do want that disc to come out of your hand really parallel with the ground. You want to keep it flat. If you start tilting left or right with it, it is going to do different things to the disc. Yeah. Or even tipping that nose up. That's my tendency is uh, releasing that forehand throw with the nose of the disc or the front edge of the disc 
tipped up and I'll get a lot of power behind it, but it gets way too much lift and goes way up in the air and dies out. And so I'm losing, you know, 30, 40% of my, of my drive distance. Um, so I really have to focus on coming down through that thing to make it stay flat and level. Right. I also want to add in earlier, we talked about star versus gateway versus champion. There are so many different kinds of plastics. Oh, so, so the material that they're actually made the out of. The materials that they're made, the actual plastics, there are different types of plastics. And then each brand has different grades of plastics within its its bundle. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so uh, there's champion plastic, there's star plastic, and your professionals, even yourself, maybe you're listening and you're like, yes, I love star. I'm a star fan. Um, I've got some friends that are champion and it's the way that it fills in your hand. It's the way that it flies. It is different. It does different things with the different types of plastic mm-hmm. that you're, that you're purchasing. So when you're talking about the kits, you talked about kind of those Walmart kits, you're probably going to have lower end plastic. That's okay. Right. Because the higher end plastic to me, what I found is kind of more dense and more heavy. And so you do have to have more experience. You do have to have more power to really get some of those harder, tighter plastics to the heavier plastics to fly. Now, Brian, you talked about two types of throws. What are some other throws that you can do in disc golf? Well, there's one called the, well, I call it the tom- tomahawk. Yeah, you pulled that the out tomahawk, a few times. You pulled it some out. Some people call it the overhand throw. Gotcha. And that really is... Uh, that really is a baseball throw. I mean, you're you're over the top, and you're not throwing it flat trying to get it to fly. You are throwing it, uh, I don't even know. It's vertical. It's right. up and down. Yep. And, yeah, I did have to use it one time. I was My disc after my first throw was down in a creek, <laughs> yeah. and the hole, the basket, was up on a ridge in front of me, and between me and that was a, a stand of timber, and I had to get up over this timber and so, yeah, I just I just reared back and tomahawked it over the top of it. Um, what I don't know and what I'm not good at is uh, depending on which way you face the disc right. will dictate which direction that it comes down. Um, right. But I was able to get it out over the trees and yeah. out into the open, which is what was important for me. Yeah, if you take a penny and you drop it in water and you watch it, it'll kind of it'll float down to the bottom kind of left and right, left and right. And so when he's talking about throwing an overhand, he is throwing it vertically up in the air, but once it kind of reaches that arc and ends on that arc, it will turn. The disc will turn on itself, and it and it's supposed to flutter down like I'm telling you that penny does in water, and it kind of floats back down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Now, it's hard to do. So <laughs> if you don't do it right, you're basically just throwing it vertical, and it goes whoop like a big arch and just sticks down in the mud, you know? Right. But there is a technique that is a true throw, and, and people use it, and those that can do it well, man, it is so pretty to watch. The next one we had to utilize that you probably won't use a lot, but it is a good one just to know about in case you want to pull it out. You and I actually used it on the same hole. Um, I don't even really know what it's called, but you basically, you're skipping it. We're skipping it, yeah. And so this particular hole, uh, it was pretty straight for the main, the main part of it, but it had a big tree, huge, giant tree on the left that you had to stay to the right of. And once you got to that tree, you really wanted your disc to turn 90 degrees to the right because the basket was down in the woods in the in the valley and you couldn't even see it but mm-hmm. there was a lane from the big tree down so you wanted to get to the tree and then have your disc turn hard and i got to the tree turned my disc hard but i turned it too soon so i didn't make it to the clearing you threw straight through the clearing on yeah. down past it so both of us 
had this this turn, this clearing surrounded, and the basket was down here in front of us, but we both had to throw through trees. Mm-hmm. But the lowest branches were probably five or six feet off the ground, uh, too low for us, and we were too close to make a throw. So you said, hey, flip your disc over mm-hmm. to where the open part is up towards the sky and skip it, like one hop skip. And we both did that, and it worked really well. It skipped one time and landed right down there by the basket. Now, I've been taught this, again, by a professional disc golfer at the time. He was doing a little clinic, and and he taught me. He called it the Scooby, and he also flipped it upside down. I like that name. Yeah, but he he basically slid it down down on the ground, so he slid it along the ground. Uh So like a a hockey puck on ice, he flipped it, and and he called that a Scooby. so we kind of did a Scooby, but yet we also kind of threw a thing where it, it skipped up and kind right. of come off the ground. There are people that I have seen that have skipped it without flipping upside down, skipped it off the ground, and it's, well, went up into the chains. You yeah. can watch a lot of wow. videos. There's been a lot of hole-in-ones on drives where it's come short, hit the ground, skipped up, and it went into the basket. So, you know, we did skip it. Um, I don't know if the official name's called the Scooby, but a lot of times we were Scoobying it to get out from some of those tough positions. Um, you know, I think you and I call it a tomahawk versus an overhand. So, and there's even more throws, you know, there's so many different kinds. There's different approaches, um, to even putting people putt differently, whether they jump when they putt, stand still, rock back and forth. There's so many different types. But I think that's similar to all sports. It's right. you got to find, you got to get in there, you got to do it, you got to find what's working for you, and and learn how. Well, getting an understanding once you buy discs, getting an understanding of how each of them fly out of your hand and your motion is so important because you you're gonna have to shape the way that you throw these discs. They're gonna have to move and, and shape. If you can throw a disc straight, that is a that's great. But you're not gonna get great at disc golf if you can only throw them straight. So once you master that, then you kind of have to start on on tilting the edges up one way or the other and seeing how far that disc with your motion throws and throwing it forehand and backhand and tomahawk and understanding the movement of all these if you really, really want to get good at disc golf. It takes some practice, but the good thing is you get to go outdoors, it is affordable, you get exercise, and you get to do it with a group of people. You don't often see individuals out there every once in a while uh, there was we did see one when we were out playing, but most of the time, you know, you're three, four people deep out there cruising around, sharing laughs. It is a great thing to do together. Um, I'm not going to say that we make fun of each other, but there, there, <laughs> there's a little poking throughout, and the competition for two guys that are competitive was was awesome as well. It was. I just enjoy going out and and throwing and trying to get better personally, but it's even more fun when I got a little competition, you know, mm-hmm. to go at it. So. Um, with all of that, we've, we have shared so much information, but there's two more parts that I think is really important for someone. Um, what I'd like is what I'm about to share here. This, this information that I'm about to share, this would be good for you to come back and listen to after you kind of have a disc, after you go out and practice that disc. But for those listening that have played before, I want to give just a little more, a little bit more information that's going to help you. Like it helped me when I was, when I learned it. And so there's some some terms that are said and that you're going to hear. And so you're going to hear words like when you go to buy a disc at, at a professional store that that knows how to play, um, maybe maybe you know a professional. A lot of these professionals, guys, they, they're giving discs and they're trying to sell them. They're trying to get rid of some of them, but um, they'll get you good deals too. Um, but if they're, they're using some of these words, so like stability. You know, stability, that's really the description of the, the disc's flight path. Then you have a, a word called understable, and I've 
you have understable and stable and overstable. And I've heard these, man, going through as I was playing, I pretended like I knew what they were, <laughs> but I didn't know. I just learned what my disc did, but here's what they mean. So understable means that it's a flight that turns right whenever you're throwing it backhand with your right hand. Okay. Does that help? Makes sense here. Stable is going to be that flight that really doesn't turn at all. When Brian's talking about a frisbee, the days of real frisbees, they don't really turn. When you throw them, if you throw them correctly, they're straight, and that's going to be really your your stable. That's that means it's stable. Overstable is really referring to like the flight that turns left. Those three, depending on if you're throwing left or right hand, can be switched there. But that's the main description. So as you're hearing what those are. Um, remember that because that gets into what people ask, what are the numbers on the disc? What, yeah. what does that even mean? I see the numbers now. So most of most discs that you buy are going to have four numbers inscribed on the front. And, and when he says most disc, if you're going to buy a disc that doesn't have numbers, then you're, you're probably buying it from a, a professional that knows what this disc does and ask them. You're going to have to ask them because it may not be written on the top. When you flip it upside down, there may be nothing but the brand. If you don't have numbers on it, then you might not get it if you can't ask the person what it does because that's not going to help you. So with the numbers on the front of it, one of my favorite all-time discs that I love to throw as a driver, okay, it's called the Star Boss. So I know right there that it's Star Plastic. That's why it's called Star Boss. The brand is Anova, and underneath that, it says it's a distance driver. So that lets me know this is something I want to use yeah, really start, on my starting throw. throw. Yeah. Right. And so... Right below that, it gives me four sets of numbers. The first one is 13, the next one is 5, the next one is negative 1, and the last one is 3. So, when we look at what those four are, the first thing we're looking at is speed. Right. Speed runs from 1 to 14. Now, I said earlier that my first number is 13, so that's my speed. Yeah. But it's 1 to 14, and 14 is the fastest. So, faster discs help cut into the wind. That's what you want to know for that speed. Right. It's speed is really just how hard the disc how hard you have to throw it for it to work correctly. So as a beginner, what most people are gonna suggest is a speed between four and nine. Uh, I've noticed a lot of these kits that we're looking at that we're recommending that are thirty or forty dollars. A Nova starter kit of, of six discs is fifty dollars and their driver that comes in that is a nine. Right. And so solar speeds are better for beginners is what you're <laughs> yes. saying there. Good. Our next number is going to be covering glide. And glide, that ranges from one to seven. So my glide here is five on my Star Boss. Mm -hmm. And what that really does, the glide, it maintains the loft during the flight. So the more glide that you have, the longer it's going to stay in the air. Now, is that better for a newbie? So, yes. If you want a higher number for beginners, so beginners want at least a four, but getting up towards that seven, so four to seven for beginners, so you're keeping that thing up in the air. Otherwise, you may be spiking some if you're if you're throwing a, a two or a three, um, and you don't get a lot of distance when it's on the ground. Right. So to recap that, to make sure it's clear, the more distance, if you need more and more distance, then you want more and more glide. That's what yeah. you want. But discs with less glide are more accurate in high winds. So that's why there's different. If there's a super high wind coming at you, you know, you're in a tournament, you got you to gotta make this drive, then you would have to, to look at a different type of driver. Next, our next number is turn. Now, turn means stability. It's a word I was, was using earlier. Um, so turn is to turn over or perhaps bank 
right or left. So we're going to say bank right for right now. Well, all of these numbers are actually given for right-handed players. So for left-handed players, you have to use these and and learn what that means for you. Unfortunately, you're at a disadvantage there. That is a good point. I'm right-handed, so I didn't even think about that. Really good. I'm glad you shared that. Um, So my disc is a negative one, okay? The range is going to be plus one to negative five. Right. So the stability of it, if it's a plus one, then it is most resistant to turning over. Mm-hmm. So I'm a negative one. Plus one means it is resistant to turning over, whereas a negative five will turn the most. Correct. Man, that's hard for me to share like that. But it is. That that one's the most confusing. Uh, but the most important thing to know is that if you're a beginner, new to playing, haven't played a whole lot, you want uh, a turn number, which is your third number on your disc, to be somewhere between zero and negative three. And don't forget that a less turn is more accurate in the wind. Correct. So... You may have three or four different kinds of discs, depending on what what's happening outdoors in the weather. May it, you may have to adjust what your which driver you pick up. The last number is fade. Okay, now fade ranges from zero to five. Mine is a three. It's mm-hmm. going to be right there in the middle, but it's the movement at the end of the flight to the left. So for a right-handed thrower throwing a backhanded throw is what these numbers are for. It is the the movement or its tendency to move back to the left when you throw it. And a beginner really wants to look for a disc that's going to fly straight, so you want something from a zero to a two on your fade, your fourth number. So quick recap. You have four numbers. If, you are, if you're just getting in this, like, Ben, Brian, I want to go do this, here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't even worry about the numbers, guys. Don't even worry about them. Go to the store, pick up a driver, get a kit, and just go throw it and play. Okay, right. if you like the game, if you get out there and you start being like, you know what, this could be pretty fun. I'm seeing how I could throw this farther and harder and I could get good at this. That's when you want to start getting in the science of it and start figuring out what disc do I need for how I throw, for the drives I'm making, how far, what distance can I even throw? You know, Brian and I played, you said it was a par five. We had like 1,200, 1200 feet. 1,200 feet. Well, it took me three drives to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to take a professional two right (laughs) you know like can i get to that level maybe if i practiced could i be worse it may take me four one that sometime i go played four just to get close enough to even try to put it so again start off so slow start off with one disc learn what it does and then start getting into this chaos that we talked about but for those that love it Hopefully, sharing what those four numbers are going to help you in your game. Start looking at your discs. Write them out. What is it that it's supposed to do? And then go out and try it. Is it doing what the numbers are saying that it's yeah. supposed to My do? My favorite thing is just to throw them. I like, yeah. I like getting in your bag and trying and throwing all your discs. And that's another thing I want to say, too. If you know somebody who plays, they usually want to teach and they want people to go with them. So say, hey, next time you're going, can I go with you? And then you may not even have to buy discs. You may get an opportunity to go with them, and they may share some of their discs with you so that you can go throw them as well. One thing I love about disc golf as opposed to regular golf. When you go play regular golf, it ain't free. You pay right. to play that course. Right. And and you need four hours to play. And so once you've paid, you don't want to cut it short. You paid $50 to play a golf course. If you only had an hour and you're three holes in, you have to leave. That hurts. That cuts bad. But with disc golf, you can squeeze in a few holes here. If you if you play nine and you're feeling good, you want to keep going, or maybe you played faster than you thought, then play all 18. If you play 18 and your arm's not hanging, you want to play again, we'll play again because it's free. 
or maybe just has a donation box. Get you a good pair of shoes, find some discs to throw, a bottle of water, maybe a bottle of a leave to take a couple when you're done. <laughs> if you're like me, you take one preventatively. Uh, but find some people to go out and try it with. Most importantly, spend some time outdoors trying something new. You know, you you brought up memories of me and my buddies going out and playing, and I miss that because we played, we played a lot. And we were able to play a lot because the course was close to where we lived, and it doesn't take that long to play. Um, one thing that was really, really fun that we did is we went of an evening. Um, so we went even once it was dark. There are discs. There's type of discs that um, glow in the dark. And so we, we took flashlights. You can make the disc glow. And because we played these, these courses so often, Brian, we found that it was easier to play at night than it was in the day. We were getting more aces. Our scores were better at dark than they were at the daytime. Wow. Do you have any... You- yeah. Why do you think that is? Because you cannot see any trees. You can't see any obstacles. Also, the mind games were gone. The mind game's gone. You know where the basket's at because you've thrown it there 50 times. You know where it's at, so let it fly. And we have had more aces. We Our scores overall as a whole group were better every time we played after dark. An ace dark. is when you, a hole-in-one, you make it on your first throw, right? Right, yeah. yes, yes. You know, because we weren't paying attention to the trees. I remember when... <laughs> There was a hole, the course you and I just played at, and there were four or five trees 10 feet in front of us. Yeah. We had to throw through a gap on this drive. And if you if you guys could have seen this tree. These trees were <laughs> annihilated. I mean, it looked like you took buckshot. I don't know. It just shot it with shotguns. Uh, yeah, a bear attacked it. I, <laughs> I mean, they were destroyed because people are throwing these discs as hard as they can and hitting the tree right there right. because it's in your head. Like... If there wasn't, no, if there was no pressure, you'd easily throw by this tree. But that's what we we're finding of a night. But that's actually another thing I want to bring up. These discs that you're purchasing, they do change over time. The more you use them, the more they get abused. They do change in flight, and they will. You know, I had a, I have three different kinds of. Uh, my favorite mid-range disc is called the T-Bird, and I have three of them, but they all three fly a little differently because my very first one abused it beat it up because it was my I used it for everything all the time but I use it for certain throws now because I know exactly what it's going to do but it is different than my other t-bird that's fresh pristine and it's never been hit I've never hit a tree with it you know um so when you were saying earlier about using some of my discs some of those discs have been beaten up pretty bad you You know that camouflage one that we can never find (laughs) yeah yeah you gotta think about coloration of your disc too you buy I bought one that was camouflage yeah, that was dumb. Um, you don't want to buy. <laughs> you don't want to buy something that when you throw, you have a hard time finding it. Right. That would be. But I did, and I'm going to tell you that disc flies so good, it's crazy. Um, but anyway, yeah, definitely, definitely think about the colors of disc you're buying. Um, when you borrow a disc from somebody and you really like it, just remember it. It may not fly like a brand new one. And then lastly, we're talking about not being able to find it. Okay. Because of that, I've taken the extra step. I put my name and I put my cell phone number on the back of my discs, the ones that I've paid. A lot of these discs, guys, when you're going out and buying single from from a lot of these places, they may cost 20 bucks. When you're getting into that star, that higher-end quality plastic, they are expensive. And there have been courses where I couldn't find it after I threw it. So I put my name and number on the back, and I will say that people have called me and given me, and I've met them, and they've given me my disc back. Here's the craziest story of that. There's a college local here. They have a disc golf course. I'd never been to that college. And I got a call from someone on that campus saying, hey, I found your disc here. (laughs) 
is on top of the building. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> so I had lost one at a local course. Someone must have taken it and then played it at another course, and they lost it there. And then somebody called me from that course saying that they found my disc, and, and I was able to pick to it you. up. Yeah, so, you know, you may not get it back, but majority of the time I have gotten my disc back, the ones that I've lost, because as the seasons change, you can start finding some of these discs that were tucked in and lost in that vegetation that was overgrown and high. I hope you guys are inspired hearing all this. Hear the passion in our voice to go out and, and try new things outdoors. We don't just hunt and fish. We do it all. Any opportunity we have to spend outdoors, we're going we're gonna to do it. We took a beautiful day this week, even though it's February, to go spend some time throwing discs, hanging out, laughing, enjoying some sunshine. We hope that you do the same. I know we throw a lot of information at you. If you have any questions, please reach out to us. You can reach out to us at m2boutdoors at gmail.com or mess message us on Facebook, Instagram as well. Please help us by leaving us a review for our podcast. We've had several people lately on iTunes leave us reviews, and we're so thankful for that. It really, really helps us out, move up the charts, and help our podcast grow. Also, hit the automatic download button on whatever platform you're listening Hit the subscribe button as well so that you're getting every episode. We hope that you are enjoying the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode. And as always, between now and that time, we hope that you find time to get outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.